All right, welcome back to another episode of Perfusion. Today we've got Elliot, the Elliot Rowe here at Master Mindset Coach, correct? Maybe. Right. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. Masterful <laughs> Mindset Coach. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, give a minute. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. So, Andrew, thanks for having me on the show. Um, so I'm a mindset and performance coach. Uh, so I work with people who are elite in their different industries. So it might be CEOs, it might be Wall Street traders, it might be professional gamblers, professional athletes, and trying to take them from the sort of the 95% they're performing at to 97, 98%. Um, but that little extra is enough to make an extraordinary difference to them. Um, you know, Olympic sports and things are won by points of a second. And we're just trying to get that extra edge through mindset so that they can win more than they were winning before or make better trades or make better decisions in their business. So you start, I, I believe you, you you had your breakthrough in the poker industry, correct? Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe how that happened? How, how did you, were you doing some another career Something so, else. So, so I sort of my story was sort of my full my full orange story origin story, um, is that I was working in investments, completely different industry. I had a fear of flying, and a hypnotherapist managed to cure it in a session. Um, went to this hypnotherapist. I was very skeptical, um, and she took me through this very relaxing process, meditative state. And it started bringing up memories from my past related to flying. Uh, one came up. I was at my granddad's house. So I saw a picture of a small plane and I was told it had crashed and killed one of his business partners. Um, we worked through the emotions of that memory and I felt differently about flying afterwards. So I was comfortable getting on planes. But what was interesting is I wasn't aware of the memory consciously. And when I checked with my parents, if it was real afterwards, they said it was. So there was this memory that I wasn't really aware of that completely explained in a rational fear of flying. And as we worked through it, I was just fine getting on planes. Because of that, I got trained as a hypnotherapist in the background because I thought it was interesting and thought it would be cool to be able to help out friends and families with fears. Um, started doing that. So started working in the background, sort of on the side, helping people out um, whilst also doing this renewable energy investments job and started enjoying the hypnotherapy and the coaching more. So made a decision um, that I was going to do the career I loved rather than the one that I thought was for money and um, switched to hypnotherapy and coaching. Um, I knew someone who's in the poker industry and they said, hey, if you, know, if you can help people with stress and anxiety, when these guys are playing for millions of dollars, that's really, really valuable for them. And I started working with poker players. Um, this is about 11 years ago. And um, it just went extraordinarily well. My clients won almost every major title in poker. Now it's over $200 million that my clients who like clients who publicly work with me have cashed. It's, it's way more than that um, with the clients, the total number of clients. Um, and because of that, and, and these poker players, they play poker with CEOs, they play poker with Wall Street traders, they play poker with professional athletes. They would recommend me as a mindset coach in all of these different industries. So I started working on Wall Street. I started working with athletes. Um, I've worked with a number of UFC champions, that sort of thing. Um, and that's sort of where the business grew. So a random connection in poker turned into basically a, <laughs> an elite coaching business over the last 10 years or so. That's how a lot of careers, I feel like somebody gives you the opportunity and it, and it pans out. And then, you know, it's that zero to one effect, right? If you can do one, you can do a million. 
you know, it, it getting from zero to one is is the hardest. So that's that's interesting. So I I I, I keep hearing hypnotherapy, hypnotherapist, right? And I, and I heard that recently, um, and I believe is that like the 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 where you put the thing. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's 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 not what media would portray it as. Certainly, the work I do isn't. Um, so a lot of people, when they think about hypnosis or hypnotherapy. They think of the stage shows or they think of the movie that has some powerful magician almost who takes control over people. The best way of describing this is like a guided meditation. So it's all it's all audio. Um, someone's listening to me and they take them through a, a breath work type process, leading them into a deepened relaxation state, but also an increased focus state. So you're just sort of very, very present, very focused, very relaxed. And in that state, your subconscious is dominant and we can start bringing up the memories that explain the programming of your past. So why do you have self-sabotage, fear of failure, fear of success, anxiety in a certain area? Why do you have irrational anger? Um, your subconscious knows why it's creating those triggers in your life because it has a reason to. And this is just a process that allows us a very quick way of finding the root cause of these issues. Um, all memory is malleable. Um, it's never the same when you go back to a memory anyway. It's not a complete, it's not like CCTV. We're not playing a tape. Um, we're going back to something that's slightly changing. And with hypnotherapy, we can adjust the way the emotions in those memories feel in a way that is no longer triggering in the same sense. So let's say an easy example that comes up often is school bullying. So a lot of people, if they think about their school bully now, even in adulthood, <laughs> uh, they feel a, a tension in their stomach or their chest. You know, if they think of that kid's name, they feel uncomfortable. Um, that means there's still trapped emotion there. Um, we go back to these bullying memories and, um, you know, what was it like? What was happening? I was seven years old and this kid punched me and I was so terrified and I felt so alone and whatever it might be. Um, to seven-year-old you, that was life and death. It was extremely scary. To 45-year-old you, this is two seven-year-olds having a fight. So what we do is we overwrite those memories and see it from an adult perspective. So instead of seeing it from the child's perspective, we're seeing it then from the adult's perspective, uh, which is much safer, much more relaxed. We can bring in love to those memories. And then when those moments in normal day life that used to trigger you happen, they don't trigger you in the same way because there's not the same event and the same trapped emotion that there was there before. And it's that, but it's for anything. So whether it's anger, anxiety, as I say, fear of failure, fear of success, procrastination issues, there's usually a root cause if there's an irrational behavior. So we're looking for anywhere where you would tell someone else to do something different than what you're doing. So you know what to do, but you're not doing it basically. So, yeah. um, so, and this like is a, one, like a mental blockage. Exactly. And this is where I try and describe it to people where, you know, they say, should I get a business coach or a mindset coach? And if you don't know what to do, you should get a business coach because I can't help someone with that. If you know what to do, but you're not able to bring yourself to do it, then it's mindset because it doesn't matter how much more good information you're given you're still not capable of doing it. And there's some kind of subconscious block that's holding the way. And then it's mindset coaching. That's the right direction to shift. So is it, is it like, I, is it safe to say it's therapy? It's, 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 it's it has it's sort of, it's not therapy as in, you know, I'm not a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, it's not for mental health issues. That's not the work I'm doing. This is a helping high performers 
understand where these blockages are coming from and working through those blockages. So it's it, it's sort of a, it's a similar-ish process, but it's not therapy. And this isn't, you know, if someone has mental health issues, you should be seeing a qualified therapist. This is right. hypnotherapy for performance. Right. So I, I believe you're you're putting them the the somebody in a theta state. Is that correct? Mm, when yes. they're in the so that way, and I because it's funny, I just heard this uh recently. You're so they and when they're in a theta state, what occurs? Like they they can something so, happens. So so right? so this is the state that we're looking for, as I say, is this is this state where it's malleable. It's like the child, it's like the the, the way children live. So they're in this malleable environment where we can make change and the subconscious is dominant. So instead of the voice that's sort of overlaying everything saying, no, I can't, this can't change. This is who I am. It's a more open space for change to happen and reprogramming to happen. So you can't make someone do something they don't want to do. All of the stuff you see in the media regarding hypnotherapy, you know, that is just TV shows. This will make believe. But what you can do is you can take someone back to their natural self. So it's more like we're unhypnotizing people. So someone has picked up a program saying, I should be scared of this because this is a scary thing. And then we're saying, well, actually, you don't need to be scared of that. We're bringing them back to their natural state as if the issue hadn't happened. Does that make sense as a, as a friend? Yeah, you know? you're extracting like, I mean, I even I have something, right? You're extracting something in their past, right? Or mm -hmm. attempting to extract like a limiting belief from somebody's history mm -hmm. and I guess replacing it or how how are you managing Re that? Reframing it. Okay. So, so let's say a, a common one is money beliefs. Right. So I don't deserve more than $200,000 a year, right? It comes up right. all the time. Right. Um, we get, we dig into this. Where's this coming from at the kit at the dinner table? When I was a kid, my dad used to say rich people are bad right. and the rich people in the street made $250,000. So I can't make more than 250,000 because that would then make me a bad rich person who my dad wouldn't like. So how would you manage? Yeah. How do you manage that then? Okay. So now I'd like you to look at this through the outside from your adult eyes. Why is your dad saying this about rich people? Is he saying this because mm -hmm. they're bad or is he saying this because he wishes he had that money and he's not able to provide it and he's trying to create an excuse? Hmm. Well, right? I don't, I don't know. That's not something that wasn't a specific. No, that didn't happen no I know. I know. But what I'm saying yeah. is that's, that's the sort of language that would right. be. So you get the person to start to question if yeah. what they'd taken on as truth right? Is, is actually a truth or is it something someone was just saying? And a child will believe what an authority figure tells them is truth. It's gospel. So yeah. a teacher told them they were stupid. Therefore I must be stupid. My dad told me that rich people are bad. Therefore bad, rich people must be bad, etc. Right? We want to create space for that not to be absolute truth. And might be something where you make your own decision. And right. the work is to start seeing those moments from an adult perspective instead of this is the absolute truth that rich people are bad. And instead, maybe my dad was having a bad day. My teacher said I was stupid. Okay, does that mean you're stupid or does that mean your teacher isn't doing a very good job? Right. So it's opening up this space for the person to then be able to say, okay, I learned this. I can unlearn it if I choose to, rather than this is just true. So you put them, so you put the person in a meditative state yeah, and then, and then, uh, and then work through, work through that. 
and then you Correct. work through these and then you work through these kinds of issues so again yeah yep yeah, so so in these kinds of issues where you're going to be working through issues from your past these tr sometimes relatively traumatic things sometimes relatively benign things will come up and then what you look to do is once we've released the emotional tension from it that physical response that i was describing we usually then future pace so how does your life change if you do these things how does it feel if you step into your best self how does it feel if you choose to be more confident in these sales calls or, or whatever it might be and then work through you know more like visualization techniques but in a very focused state so they can not only feel the change from their past being framed differently but also start to picture what their present and future can look like if they make these shifts and changes and then we're sort of locking that into the subconscious because once the subconscious has seen it you've got an opportunity to act that way but if you can't imagine success it's very difficult for your subconscious to accept it so that's the sort of process that we're utilizing in these sessions Are they, but okay, so I guess, I don't know if I missed it or not, but they're in a meditative state. They can't respond, right? Yeah, they, they can respond. Yeah, they're talking. Oh. So it's just like a, a relaxed meditative state. So if you think yeah. of the end of a yoga class, so you're feeling very Zen, but if someone asked you, you know, how was your yoga? You'd be able to say, oh, it went well, but you would be in a different mental state. It's quite hard to describe. It's Sort of a good example of, of this sort of state is you're driving along a highway and you sort of, some of the junctions, you've just gone past the junctions and it's felt like you were on autopilot. You still would have been able to answer a question, but you sort of just went through a few junctions and, you know, you were in that sort of very focused Zen state or that feeling in between being awake and asleep at night. So that sort of drowsy, comfortable feeling, but you're quite capable of thinking, you remember all of it. Um, but you can access things in a slightly different way and you can evoke emotion in a different way than in our conversation that we're having right now. So how many sessions do you think, or do you know it takes to, I guess, remove that limiting belief or whatever that is it take one? Does it, it take? It depends on, it depends on the client. So typically I work with clients for 10 sessions. That's normal for me. Um, sometimes we, hit a particular thing like like with my fear of flying i got very fortunate that was one session i didn't have to go back i just that right. fear of flying was resolved um it's usually more work with more subtle situations so with the high performers they're already performing very well this isn't some extreme response that we're looking for this is fine tuning different areas of them their lives so they can optimize so we might resolve one particular issue in one session. It might be three sessions on that issue. There might be five on that issue. But oftentimes there are multiple different issues we're working on in their life to try and optimize so that it can be as profitable as possible. And then some people work with me longer term. Yeah, interesting. And so your initial win, right, with the poker player, are you able to kind of say what did he did he have a specific blockage or was there yeah so so i've i've released a book on poker and uh, called a game poker and a number of my clients have shared their stories in that so this wasn't one poker player who just won it this was a number of poker players who sort of after working with me reached the top of the world in, in poker um one of the stories that's in the book um a player called fedor holtz um came to me he'd been successful online he hadn't had any live success and um he, he'd started playing high roller tournaments. So that's sort of a hundred thousand dollar buy-in and above. 
And he noticed his performance wasn't what it should be and it didn't make sense to him. We went through this process and he came up with memories of school bullying and him responding to bullying in school by dumbing himself down in class and not showing his full potential, right? Because it was safer. So not putting his hand up, not showing how intelligent he was. Um, we worked through those fears and those issues and sort of saw it as you're allowed to live to your full potential. And um, we then um, sort of got to the end of the session. It was quite emotional, let go of the issues. And at the end of the session, he said, I'm just going to win now. And like from three weeks later, he went on one of the biggest tears in poker. I think that in those in the next 12 months, he won about $15 million at 24 years old and then semi-retired from that. Um, so that's sort of a near ideal story, <laughs> explaining yeah. this sort of overcoming an issue, instantly seeing a shift and then having dramatic world-class success. And he was kind enough to share that story publicly. Yeah, that all. And so prior to that, you were doing, what were you, what were you doing prior to that? Sorry, sorry, sorry. The you were in investments. You were the industry I was in, yeah, like building solar energy farms and selling investments in them and things. So completely, completely different industry. Yeah. Ironically, I was in that thinking that was a good route to money, right. um, but I didn't find it particularly fun. I didn't find it fulfilling. And when I found this and I could see that people's lives were changing, I wanted to turn this into my career because I was just getting so much more out of it. It's definitely thought, it's, it's thought, yeah. I mean, it's thought provoking. It's, 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 I guess it's like an industry you didn't know exists. It didn't right? exist before I started it. <laughs> right. You, you started to right yeah, yeah. So, i mean it was the dawn of the coaching age um right. and certainly when it was niche markets like ufc fighters um professional poker players wall street traders there were some people in these industries but utilizing hypnosis specifically um there, there was virtually nobody nobody exclusively working with high performers in different industries um you know, there were people doing random sessions, but but that's become the bulk of them. And it's just four high performers to get the extra 5%. Well, I mean, you're saying, yeah, we get them from, you know, 95 to 100%, but I could see it, you know, working for anybody. If, if somebody it, has it definitely, belief, Yeah, right? it definitely does. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, we have a whole team of coaches and, and they're at different price points and they're working with people with more normal issues. So, so the same process works for anybody. Um, but it's just my particular, like my particular market, the people that I'm working with on a day-to-day -day basis, they're coming to me when they're already like top 20 in the world. Right. So, and they're yeah, trying you're, to get you're to like, you're the Rolls Royce of, of, my, of mindset, mindset coaches. And yeah. So it's like the, that's just my market. Um, but we, as I say, we have a team of coaches at different price points who can help anyone with, with this work. So what is, what is a common I, you know, I, I'm just visualizing in my head what this is. It's like a box in somebody's mind almost, mm. and you're prying it open. And then you got to like unfold it and then get the diamond out of it and then and then make it so it doesn't close back up, right? Mm. I don't know. For some reason, my brain is visualizing yeah. this. It's crazy, right? But that's what I'm seeing is what you do. You're opening up like a little fortune cookie box, like, and you're getting it open and and – so it doesn't, so it can stay open basically mm. rather than stay closed off. And so what is a common, I, I don't know how to phrase what that is. What is like the diamond fortune cookie box? 
what is maybe uh, you see pa like patterns are common. In yeah, humans, yeah. Right? I mean, and this this is where I'm fortunate that high performers are high performers. It doesn't matter what industry; almost all their issues are the same. Right. Right. So so that's just what comes up. So um, a few of the common ones. Um, one is they were very intelligent as a young kid, and everyone told them how clever they were, and they didn't have to study for exams. Studying for exams starts to become scary because if they study and they fail, it means they lose their clever title. But if they don't study, they can say, I'm just lazy. And if they get a B, it's not because they're stupid, it's because they're lazy. And a lot of people then take that into adult life where they don't want to give 100% because if they give 80%, they have an excuse for not succeeding. And it doesn't damage the way they view themselves or the way others view them. Um, so this comes up a lot with high performers, that they know they're holding back 20% of their effort because they want to be able to tell their friends, their family themselves that I chose to fail rather than I tried my best and then I failed. Um, so there's ego protection stuff that comes up all the time. Um, another one. How, how do you, how, so ego protection, it's like yeah. you have one of these, one of these items. It's like, uh, you know, Elliot's got, Hey, okay. He's got ego protect, you know, yeah. diamond in the fortune cookie, ego bullying, you know, limiting belief in financials. So how do you manage ego protection? How do you, how do you? So, so how does it feel when you think about failing? And they'll say, I feel oh, a tight, oh, okay. oh, right. Well, we can ask you. I mean, we can play through it just as a, well, how does it feel if you think yeah, about I mean, failing? For me, I obviously, I, who hate, who doesn't like failing, but also what I've learned. And I, I like to think I'm pretty good at, at mindset. I, I like to think I am right. Hmm. Um, I, I believe that over the years is how quick can I bounce back? That's the most important thing to me. But, but like, how does the, how does the thought of failing feel though? What's the, what's the initial emotion, the thought of failing at something? Is it, is there Depends a on how much it was that I felt that right? So, like, so something that was really important to you. So I mean, uh, you know, uh, a, a deal, right? So yep. deals are very important to me. I put, I start to care about deals or else I wouldn't necessarily. So I actually care about deals and I had a client who honestly, she was not making the best decision for her family it, with the decision she and she got stuck. I couldn't open her fortune cookie box and show her the diamond. She got stuck on an item, but didn't see all the positives around her. And I, and I, I said, I am literally attempting to get her to see this. And I couldn't, and I go, I, I can't do, I can't get her to see it. And, and she's like, call me back in six months from now. And I'm like, what all, we're going to have the same conversation in six months from now is the reality of this. And it, I got, you know, and, and that's, that was the end of it. I felt, I'm like, I'm literally here's from my heart. This is an unbelievable situation for you that you're not allowing yourself to accept. It's a gift. Mm -hmm. not allowed to accept it. And she just said, you know, I don't want to throw in the towel and I want to keep going. I want, I still want to fight. Right. I'm like, no, no, no. You need to take on new, a new situation, right. To get to the next level. So I couldn't get her to see that there was more beneficial to go this way than that way. And it, it, there's more to it without saying kind yeah, of, of course, details yeah. on, because there's confidentiality involved, but regardless, um, you know, I couldn't get her to open up that fortune cookie was the bottom line and see, Hey, this is, this is an amazing situation for you and you shouldn't pass on it. And I couldn't figure out how to take the small steps or the small questions to help 
see it. I did my best. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know how that came up. <laughs> well, I mean, but but it's like it's you feeling like you failed in that instance, I guess. Um, What's that? How did, did I you, feel? Did, did I you mean, feel that you failed? In, in I I felt like I failed. Yeah, I felt like I failed, and I had to go. I I went. I went and I, I had to be resilient. So when I fail, I, I choose to be resilient and go and not dwell on it because mm-hmm. that, you know, and not complain to others around me, go dive into something else basically and find another win pretty much. Okay. You know what well, I mean? So, so the sort of the, the, where this work would start would be if you were holding yourself back from asking the questions, you know, you should ask. So that's the sort of thing I would expect would be, I know I should have asked her this, this, and this, but it was uncomfortable because I was scared I was going to lose the deal. So I just didn't ask her the key questions. So I think I may have not have said them early enough for what it's worth. And and then it's like, why, what did it feel like early when you were thinking of saying those things? Tension, 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 my chest, my body, um, those sorts of things. Um, and then in the hypnotherapy session, what we would be doing is saying, okay, I want you to go back to that feeling in your chest, in your body. I want you to connect that back to other times in your life. You felt that way. Five, four, three, two, one, what's the next time? And it brings up a stream of memories that explain those root causes. And, it, and it's that sort of process. So it's noticing where there's an irrational decision being made that's because of an emotional response and then tracing back and working through the emotional response. So it's just that process, but just for different issues. Okay, I'm processing in my brain here. Yeah. But, um, okay. All right, so, all right, I don't forget my, my situation. So um, so you, you expanded from poker and you, you opened it up, basically. Yeah. You opened it all up. So yeah. now, now poker is probably 20% of my business. Um, we have a book, we have a video course, we have a mindset app that has a poker section, but it's actually sort of covers everything. Um, is my sound okay, Andrew? It's yeah. just gone slightly. Okay, that's good. It's just me. Your accent's fantastic. Okay, good. It's British. Yeah, British, British accent. Yeah, it's good in okay. America. Um, but yeah, we basically. That, that, that helps you charge more, right? Because the accent, <laughs> yeah, just have it for an accent in America. Um, <laughs> yeah, so effectively, but yeah, we have this mindset app we made as well, which is sort of prepare yourself for different things like sales for business, confidence, sleep. And how does that? How does that app work? So the app is suggestion hypnosis. So that's more like the end of the hypnotherapy sessions I was describing. So again, you get into that relaxed state, but instead of it being this sort of regression work where you're working through your past, instead it's a, ch- a state change. So it's using visualizations to bring in state change. So to increase your confidence, to let go of anxiety, of stress, to help you get to sleep at night, to motivate you for exercise, those sorts of things. So that's called Primed Mind, and that's on the App Store and Android, and you can try that for free. Um, okay. And then, yeah, the basically poker is about 25, 20% of my business, sorry, and then the rest is predominantly now um, founders, CEOs of companies, C-suite execs, and then some traders, some professional gamblers, and then some professional athletes. And that's the bulk of my work now. Okay. And so prime mind would be if somebody was essentially self-coaching themselves. Yeah. So prime mind is, um, you know, like any of the other mindset apps, you listen to it daily. There are different programs, there are different courses you can take. I think there's about 400 audios in the app. Um, and it's to set you up for different things from exam stress to sales stress, to dealing with relationships or, you know, there's just 
different things in life that create stress. And then we've created audio specifically for those issues. Interesting. Okay. And the book, what is the, the book called? A? So the, the, the book is A Game Poker. I have a copy here. I'll do the, yeah. I'll do the author thing. So A Game Poker. Um, obviously, you know, it's to the poker niche. Um, but a lot, a lot of the mindset work in there and a lot of the explanations like, actually carry on really carry over really well to business because again, everything is everything. High performance is high performance. There is very little difference between a professional athlete I'm working with, a poker player, a Wall Street trader, or a CEO. The the issues are human issues. They're not industry specific. Um, so even if you know you're not a poker player, you might find you get a lot of value from the book because there is so much crossover there in terms of what is high performance and how you can reach an elite level in any industry. So here's a question that came up on a previous podcast, which I found interesting. What to you is high performance? What does high performance mean to Elliot Rowe? Um, high performance to me, um, when I'm looking at my clients, um, is outperforming the others in the industry. So I'll have clients go through an exercise of um, writing down what the top performer in their industry does and then putting a ticker across as to whether they're doing all of those things. So that's the very basics of, you know, are you doing the things you know you should be doing? Obviously, the high performer might be doing other things as well, but are you doing at least the things you believe they're doing? And to me, high performance is at least doing everything you believe the competition is doing to get the edge in the industry. So being able, being willing to put in the work, put in the hours, put in the, um, you know, the exercise, if it's a sport, whatever it might be. Um, I, I don't think everything needs to be obsessive. I think there needs to be balance in life, but I actually see balance and um, self-care as actually part of high performance. So typically successful people also have a very good self-care routine. So it doesn't mean you're working 24 seven, but it means that all of these different pieces of the puzzle, so recovery as well as sort of the elite performance side, all of that is there and you've thought through all of the different aspects and you're working on yourself in the way that you believe is best to get the results that you want. So that's the framework that I, that I use. So you're, you're removing, I guess, the mental blockage from high performers essentially is what they yeah. come to you for, um, yeah. for whatever reason it is. Does Elliot have any mental blockages or are you? I mean, I, I, I work on my, well, when I say about the self-care, um, so I see a coach every two weeks. I have a personal trainer five days a week. I have a massage once a week. I do assisted stretching once a week. I see a relationship coach once every three weeks with my wife to keep that optimized as well. And I have two business coaches. So, I mean, I think I do enough. <laughs> you know, that's like it's a lot I, I don't know it's a lot of coaches and yeah. um and the thing is it works and i'm doing it because i'm getting a return on investment from putting that in and i truly believe in it and this is one of the things with coaches as well i, I would ask your coach anyone who's looking to hire a coach what self-development are they doing and if they say i'm the finished product that should be a really big red flag because i've never met a finished product um, everyone can always refine. We're sharpening a blade. This is infinite. Um, one of the things we say in all of the courses and things, there is no happy ending. 
there's nothing you can do where you're just i'm a finished product you live happily ever after it's just life's just a journey of continual evolution and once someone says i'm done i'm good enough um i i see that as a big red flag and i certainly don't believe i'm done or good enough or that i ever will be so for those people who can't yeah. So you're, was there a certification or did you go through training to do that? Yeah. So, so the hypnotherapy side was certification. Um, so I did a year's course in hypnotherapy, which is about as comprehensive it gets in hypnotherapy, unfortunately. Um, and then something that I did that I found really, really useful is sort of out of the box thinking that a lot of people don't do is in industries like this. Um, a lot of the time you can reach out to authors of books and you can get one-on-one -on -one training with them. And they're not necessarily, you know, a lot of the time they're just, they, they like the fact you've reached out. <laughs> if you read a book you like, um, right. you'd be surprised who you can reach out to. And I, I just went through and after I'd finished my training courses, just the books that I liked, I'd reach out to the authors and say, can I hire you to do training? Um, and I just got training from a number of authors who I respected their work. Um, and then just for me, it was just really reps was the biggest part of me reaching this level in, in this industry where I'm, I'm at around or probably over now 15,000 sessions that I've done over the last, what well, was 2010. So yeah, 13, 14 years. Um, and just you get better at stuff and you see the pattern recognition if you just grind out the hours. And I would say that in any industry, um, grinding the hours and getting the practice and seeing every different version of these things and building the pattern recognition is just incredibly important. Um, yeah, sorry, keep going. Go. Yeah, so so yeah, just something to be very aware of on on that side. And you have kids, right? You have yeah, children. Yeah. How old are they? So I got nine year old twins. Okay, that's right. So do you do this on to them? Yeah. So so we do we do sessions with the kids and um they uh they they quite enjoy understanding what, what we do. Um so they have fun with that. They listen to my app. They went to sleep to my app for years. Every night they'd listen to the sleep audios and they'd call it daddy's magic music that would help them get to sleep at night. Um, and then the biggest thing is we really are very cautious about the language we use with them and how we treat them because obviously the majority of the work I'm doing is people talking about their childhoods and how their parents messed up. So I just hear all day long what parents do wrong. And then you sort of try and work it backwards to, you know, not do the things wrong um, that you're hearing other people have done wrong. And, and I mean, one thing I would say is it doesn't matter how good you are as a parent, your children are going to have complaints. It's interesting. And, yeah, there's, there's no it, it. You send your kids to private school. Yes. I think there's less, I, and I'm sure there's going to be some backlash or whatever, you know, some school, there's less slander or defamation or whatever it is in a private school than a public school. I know because I went to both. So I'm hmm. pretty sure I, I, I'm, I'm speaking somewhat From experience. Yeah. I think that the private school kids were a bit more respectful, even in the derogatory. Um, oh, the happened. kids, the kids at their school were really nice. The kids at my school weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went to public school. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, you know, and that's definitely different. I mean, we're in Salt Lake. It's it's pretty friendly here anyway. Um, right. So, but yeah, yeah, very <laughs> similar. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, and we're lucky we we get to do that. Um, but I would say, you know, there are going to be things that your kids pick up, as I say, from home, from friends, bullying. No one gets through childhood unscathed. Everyone's going to have something, and it's going to be a big deal for them, even if it doesn't seem like a big deal for someone else. But you can just try and 
basically make sure that they feel loved. And a quote that someone, it's a friend who runs another podcast had told me years and years ago that, that we took on pretty um, seriously with our kids was it's not a case of telling them just like, hey, I won't love you any less if you fail an exam. She was like, and I also tell them I won't love them anymore if they get an A. So mm. instead of just the one, usually parents are like, yeah, if you're naughty, I still love you. But if you're really good, I don't love you anymore. And I think that's an important definition because children can get caught on this, like, I need to be perfect. I need to be perfect. I'm trying to get this extra love score and letting them know that, you know, we love you. It doesn't matter if you're the quarterback or not the quarterback. We're not going to love you more if you are. It's cool if you want to. But if you don't get on the football team, we love you. If you're the quarterback, we love you. If you're a normal player, we love you just have fun playing football. And I think so many children get caught up on this. They have something to prove to get their parents' love and affection. And that's something that shows up in a huge number of sessions. Hmm. From, from the clientele, yeah. from your clientele. From the clients that they're, they're sort of this trying to fill a void or feeling they need to be perfect to get love from a parent who quite clearly loved them. But the parent was focused on success and holding back the love sometimes if, you know, they made a mistake on the football field or on the baseball court. Being a parent's tough, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's tough. You know, the way I acclimate is I I do my best to remember what it was like as a child, which you brought up something that I had not remembered since I was a kid, actually, Hmm. and, 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 and do my best to remember when I was a kid and then accommodate that way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I know the, the, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it gives you a lot, a lot of things to think about, doesn't it? Yeah, because kids are my life, you know, your life. You, you get them, you got them, you want to. Um, I don't want to give them those blockages, right? Yeah. It's kind of what, you know, what I bring up. And obviously, we're human, right? Like, yeah. I made so it see it as trying to minimize the damage rather right. than perfection. <laughs> right. Like, I don't, you know, I, I'm potentially going to be their blockage. Um, yeah, minimize the damage in, yeah. in in what you say and how fragile their minds are when they're small. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, shoot. We got you here. We got we, we gonna wrap it up. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, man, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, if anyone's interested in this, you can head to primedmind.com. Um, there's the app there, and then there's a coaching page. There's We've got, I think, eight coaches at all different price points if this is of interest. Um, and apply for coaching, and we'll try and find the right coach for you. Um, yeah, and then the book's A Game Poker. It's very poker-specific, but I think there's enough crossover there that if you're running a business, if you're trying to become an elite performer or anything, there could be some useful tools. And there's a if there's a money back guarantee if they don't. Wait, <laughs> right, no, there there isn't. You just gotta you gotta do the work. If you do the work, typically you have success. But you know, do do you ever structure it so hey, if I make money, you get a percentage, or you? No, I I don't. I mean, the, the, be honest. The money that the people have made is so much that now that they they don't want to set up those kinds. They've got. I get no interest in those kinds of deals. Right. Um, because you know, in in some cases, it's. I mean, the the over two hundred millions in poker alone on the business side. The numbers are 
telephone numbers um and no one's going to give me percentages <laughs> of those sorts of numbers unfortunately what are uh so you we mentioned limiting beliefs we mentioned bullying we mentioned uh mm. you know a couple other blockages is there one more you can that you see a, a common pattern in yeah well procrastination um is massive so people are themselves yeah. back um then i mean self-sabotage fear of failure fear of success um you know one of the key things um that holds people back a lot of the time of reaching their full potential is fear that if they become successful, their family and friends won't like them in the same way or their relationship dynamics will change. And that one comes up all the time. So if I become successful, my brother won't like me anymore. Or if I'm richer than my dad, what does that mean for my relationship with my dad? Because he was always the rich one and now I'm the rich one. What does that mean for the power dynamic? And mm. these sorts of things are playing in the background, but we're not consciously aware of it, but they're there. And they're real, you know, it's lonely at the top is true. And that's one of the things you've got to be prepared for and work, you know, except um, if you're looking to reach elite at anything, um, there aren't very many people who are elite and there are less people to be friends with. And it is more difficult a lot of the time with family. If you have 20 times more money than your family, some of them will struggle with that. And there's a lot of work there that people have to do as they, as they work themselves up to sort of real top performance. What do you say? Self-sabotage is an interesting one. I think that's so common, way more common than anybody. It's so prevalent in my opinion, and it's not labeled properly. So what, what kind of, what do you see? You know, that, that was that situation I was mentioning. I, I was yeah, like, yeah. self-sabotage is, self is a coping mechanism. Right? Yeah. It, it keeps basically your subconscious is here to keep you alive and safe. Right. So if you have a roof over your head, you have food, Ideally, you're having sex. Your subconscious is saying, we're good. Right? right. And anything else pushes you outside of that comfort zone. Your subconscious says, maybe this is a threat. Maybe this is dangerous. Maybe people won't like us as much. And a lot of it is just a battle between it's trying to keep you in the comfort zone and where you are because it knows it's safe. And we're, with our conscious minds, trying to get out of that comfort zone to somewhere new that we believe is better. And that's the battle. And that's why the self-sabotage happens because... You know, that person that you described, probably a big part of her identity is the business that she owns. If you Perfect. sell that, you lose your identity. And that is very scary. Even if financially it would be better, sometimes people don't want that transition out of the identity of I am the businesswoman, I am the business owner. And that transition when people exit is tough. And I work with some people after exit. So they're not trying to make more money. They're just trying to deal with the emotions of right. I'm no longer the CEO I was. And that can be a difficult, difficult, difficult moment for people. So you're battling, as I say, this comfort zone, the personal identity, and trying to work through it and allow all of that change to be as smooth as it can be. So we give them the most logically efficient and happy life. Yeah. I mean, coping after the fact. Yeah, that was interesting. A lot of people don't think about it. Because again, there is no happy after. They they get a load of money, and then now what? Well, a lot of you know, I mean, people kill them, kill themselves after they, you know, they because yeah. they have no identity. Exactly. So, or they they so just have nothing going on. It's a legitimate fear. Um, yeah. And and doing that work and making sure that you're set up so you do have something else and you do know what direction you're going in and you're finding something that fulfills you. They have the space and freedom to do that, but sometimes they need help, and that's some of the help that I provide. So I'm like a mindset exit <laughs> strategist. Yeah. 
sort of. Seen to some extent. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Deep. All right, Elliot. I love it. Hey, man. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I appreciate it and enjoy the conversation. Elliot Rowe. I like I like Rowe. Return on equity. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Let's go. That's what and it is. Your next book. <laughs> I, I just, I, whenever I see ROE, I'm like, God, oh, it's because it's return on investment. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. You already got, you got something here, you know, then, then, then I, I don't know. There's, you could play word play on that. Yeah. Have some fun. But, uh, so you, you're the role, the Rolls Royce of mindset coaching. Oh, if you say so, I'll take it. Well, we got the civic, we got the yep. civic down here. I mean, all right, Elliot. Thanks a lot, man. Cheers. Bye-bye.